Look at Tommy Frazier. How many tackles can one man break? Now when I say, uh, you say, ah, uh, uh. He's hit and got away. Man, woman, and child did that. Put him in the aisle. Uh, and when I say, hey, you say, ha, hey. Taylor Martinez, first down. Taylor Martinez is gone. Hey, now when I say, uh, you say, ah. Uh. And Abdullah still on his feet. Wester can't throw a block. Amir Abdullah all the way home. Touchdown, Nebraska. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. Oh! Everybody, welcome back to the Scarlet and Cream podcast on HuskerKnowItAll.com. I think the theme for this game is run the damn ball. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska piling up the yardage on the ground and really taking over kind of in that third and fourth quarter with their offensive ground game. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Pat, I'm interested to know your thoughts on the game. I think a lot of people out there would say we were nervous going into the fourth quarter, thinking, here we go again with Illinois and a boot that should have been a run (laughs) and not Raising my hand on that one. I actually wasn't all that nervous. For whatever reason, this year just seems like the team has their act together. Uh, the staff knows the team. The team knows the staff, and they kind of know what what they need to do. Um, yeah, they've done a really good job of cleaning up in the fourth quarter. Like as bad as they might play in the first three quarters, couple quarters, they just it's like it all goes away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that seventy-eight to six fourth quarter scoring that we have is I don't know if it's number one or two in the country but um that's trending right now everybody's talking about that yeah um another stat that's trending in the wrong direction is probably missed tackles and turnovers yeah we we've lost the turnover margin the last two games so yeah that that's that is I mean we'll get into some analysis of the game but looking at what was wrong in the first half I mean, missed tackles were obviously a big part of that. And then, yeah, we've the last two games. I think last game we ended up tying the turnover margin because we got the late pick by Kalu. This game, we didn't get any on defense that I that I recall, so we were actually negative yeah, two. We didn't game. get any, yeah. So, so, yeah, that's what I mean is we I – mean, we're playing better teams that take care of the ball in the Big Ten. That's kind of what it's known for, but – you know, we need to do the at least tie the turnover margin or win it. Um, especially against Wisconsin, Ohio State, yeah. Iowa. The teams that are coming up, we've gotta do a better job of that. But who knew that Illinois had the best D line in the Big Ten? Well, they talked about that going in though. I mean, Langsdorf said that he he used the word scary to describe their their D line. I understand why. And yeah, and <laughs> And I think a lot of people listening to that went, eh, eh, it's Illinois. I kind of did. I kind of dimi- dismissed it like, they can't be that good. But they, right. They're freaking good. No, they were. I mean, like they people were saying after the game, that might be the best D-line that we face all year. It, it, they have two NFL guys on, on the line for sure. And they showed that. They played well the first really three quarters. It was that... Honestly, it was that drive, and we talked about it when we were watching the game. 
You know, the important thing about that drive, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but the important thing about that drive was what happened after it. We got the score, but then they went three and out right that next right. series. And that when that happened, that's when I went, okay, this is over. Yeah, those guys are gassed. Yeah, they're, we're, we're going to drive right back down, and sure enough, we did. And then we 18 plays, is you don't prepare for an 18 play. No. <laughs> you can't. Well, and they, the thing was is they, you know, they battled that whole – they had to battle that whole drive mm-hmm. too. It wasn't a. It wasn't just a. It wasn't like a. I don't want to. It's weird to say it, but like it wasn't an easy eighteen play drive. They they battled all the way to the eighteenth play. It was like the game was like we were, um, going to the body blows, body blows, body mm-hmm. blows, body blows, and then that fi- that drive was like we started throwing headshots. Yeah, that and was. And then the fourth quarter was they they didn't have anything left. Yeah, that was their last stand. Uh, it seemed like like that was their last hurrah and when we scored it was like boom they were they were out so and then yeah we just kind of stomped them from there so um but looking at the game so we'll get it again we're getting later we'll talk some details about the game but just looking at it big picture wise what 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 are some of the maybe major themes or thoughts that you had in terms of what this win it actually means in turn again in the context of the overall Big 10 or maybe some something you saw us progress this way wise just overall theme wise what do you think this game and this win really means for Nebraska if anything well you beat a Lovey Smith coach team so he's known for having good sound defense which proved out to be the case um we just we just wore him down and so that was good to see that uh, I think Illinois is going to end up being better than barring some type of injury or something to some key players. They're going to be better than what maybe people thought they would be this year. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about this year. I think they'll be in games. I, I think they'll probably lose them. But they're certainly not the team they were. And I think Dude. the next year or two, it's, it's, it's the same story for every big 10 team out there. They're in the middle of building a big athletic conference. They're putting a bunch of money into it. You know, you're, they've got a NFL caliber coach that, you know, they're, they've got an AD that's now committed. So I think, yes, you'll see over the next year, two, three years that they're going to become a, a really, really good team. I think this will be a bigger win than what it seems like right now. Um, than what, than than what people think just because I think they're going to be better even at the end of this year than what yeah people envision. I, I look at them like I do Rutgers. Now, <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid for a second because Rutgers just got blasted by Ohio State. But when I watch the game, you know, it's the, it's, it's the problem if you just look at the final score and you don't watch the game. You look at, you know, 58 nothing. you're like, oh, well, Rutgers still sucks. When well, you even thirty-one sixteen looks like a blowout, and it wasn't even close to a blowout. Right? Yeah. Like, I watched the game, and that first quarter, Rutgers was battling back, and they had op- the the messed up thing was they had opportunities. They had opportunities to take the lead, and had they been able to capitalize on those, and they and it was unforced errors that kept them from doing it on their part. So, had they been able to take advantage of that, that could have been a totally different game. But then Ohio State. It wasn't really till right at the end of the second quarter, end of the first half, that they they started getting rolling. So when you look at it and you watch, actually watch the game, 
you see a team that there's there's more there than just what the final score says and you see a team that feels like it's going to progress and get a lot better even though they just got curb stomped by <laughs> Ohio yeah, State. They'll learn from that and I I keep saying that Ash is a good coach and he is and they'll they'll correct they'll just keep correcting things and mm-hmm. until they get it right. So that's the kind of coach he is and they just look a lot more uh, – the thing I keep going back to them, with them, and, and it's the same for Illinois. If you compare Illinois this year versus last year, from my recollection, they just look a lot more physical. They look like bigger, stronger bodies that are more physical. So talking about that, our our conditioning, whether we're stronger, I don't know, but we just – we can last longer than – we used to come back so in she the fourth said, quarter and – make it a game but now we just curb stomp people yeah in the fourth yeah we would we, we had some fourth quarter comebacks you know even with taylor and we had but it wasn't it wasn't like yeah it wasn't the curb stomping that that's occurring right now i think now. it's some of some of it is physical but i also think a good portion of it's mental mm-hmm. because when you're getting berated day in and day out yeah. on a daily basis you get to the fourth quarter um, mentally, how sharp are you? I don't know, but now they're it's a more of a confidence thing. Confidence goes a long ways in football. Yeah. Well, and and I want to get into that a little bit more, which we'll do here in a second. But we're going to take a break and come back. I want to talk some more about the Big Ten and the overall big picture of what this means because there were some big game, big things that happened this past weekend that have implications for Nebraska and getting into the Big Ten championship. And there's some games coming up this week, which we'll get into the the episode later this week. But there's a lot that's happening right now that have implications for where we're headed in terms of the Big Ten championship. I bet you have no idea the team that might be the scariest in conference right now. <laughs> well, we'll get into that, and you can enlighten me after the break. You're listening to Scarlet and Cream Podcast on HuskerKnowItAll.com. Hey, Husker fans, John Morris here with the Scarlet and Cream podcast. So Pat and I, this is the thing, Pat and I want to become one of your regular stops. I know if you're like me, if you're like Pat, in season, especially football, I'm sure it's the same way for a lot of you who are interested in other sports. But for, for us, especially during the football season, we just can't get enough Husker news and information. I'm always reading articles and podcasts and listening to press conferences watching the analysis and so forth. I just can't get enough. And so we'd like to become a regular stop for you in your search for all things Huskers and Husker football. So in order to do that, I want to ask that you'll head on over to huskerknowitall.com slash iTunes if you're on an Apple device, huskerknowitall.com slash Android for your Android device, or huskerknowitall.com slash SoundCloud for laptop, desktop, and it's actually on Android and iOS as well. Head on over to whichever one of those you prefer and subscribe to the podcast. Also, if you'd leave us a review there, we'd appreciate that as well. And if you know anybody else who's just like us and can't get enough Husker content, if you'd share the show with them as well, we'd appreciate that. And again, make us a regular stop in your search for all things Husker information. We'd greatly appreciate that. We're going to do our best to both inform and entertain you. Pat will work on his comedy skills. I'll try and find the best news stories out there for you. And uh, again, hopefully do you proud. So again, be sure to subscribe. If you'd share, we'd appreciate that. And we'll get back into the episode. Welcome back to the Scarlet Cream podcast on HuskerKnowItAll.com. 
Com. Want to talk a little Big Ten? So there are a number of games that were going that went down this last weekend that, uh, like I said, I have implications for us getting into the Big Ten championship. So two in particular that uh, I think, well, three really: Northwestern and Iowa, Michigan and Wisconsin, and then the Minnesota Penn State game. All three of those teams, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota what you would consider are three main competitors for the West, all lost. And uh, Iowa in particular lost a division game. So Nebraska right now, undefeated in conference, undefeated in division, is really in uh, the driver's seat for the West. Now you look ahead at the schedules, we still have to play Wisconsin, we still have to play Ohio State, but gosh, it's a lot better spot to be in having no losses than having, you know, one or whatever losses where you still got to go into the bulk of your division schedule. Yeah. If I was listening to the radio, if you heard, or if you would have said, well, we're going to be five and all going into um, the two week break before Indiana, we yeah. would all said, sign me up for that one. Yeah, I'll take it. So we have as many wins as we had all regular season last year. Let's just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We were five and six. <laughs> so it, uh, you know, it definitely feels better. As Mike Riley says, it looks better. looks like football feels better, that whole deal. But um, I don't know. Yeah, the the Big Ten in general is kind of almost a little flipped on its head a little bit from what maybe you went into the season thinking Iowa would be the team to beat and Wisconsin's like the, the monster that we never – yeah saw coming but then the other one that's even a little scary is maryland yeah maryland's undefeated right now as well and, and we play them yeah right we before play them. we play iowa and so i looked at who they beat they haven't really beat anybody noteworthy and that's probably why nobody's really talking about them but they're still 4-0 yeah i mean it's the same thing as us undefeated is undefeated you know you i was reading something that said that two uh, there's like ten undefeated team left, undefeated teams left in the whole country. Some some number ten or eleven or something like that, and we play two of them <laughs> so far: Ohio State and Maryland. Now, do I think Maryland's gonna make it all the way to our game against them undefeated? I doubt it. I haven't looked at their full schedule, but I imagine that there's a team or two in there that's gonna <laughs> that, that that's gonna be. It was just last year and the year before though that the Big Ten couldn't win even those. UCFs and those type of games that Maryland's winning and, and well, yeah. winning beating Oregon. Yeah, I again I think that goes back to it goes back to the monetary investment, the I mean, look, if you're if you're the Big 10 and you're giving a school or whatever the number is, 22 million a year from TV revenue and I think I was just talking with Shane about this the other day, it, it, they're renegotiating or they just renegotiated, renegotiated the contracts. And I think the payout to the school is going to go up to something like 40 million a year. If you're giving that much money to these programs, I, I, I know it's probably not written down, but there's probably some unwritten step stipulations about, look, you're getting this money. Facilities need to be upgraded. You know, uh, there needs to be, you need to hire the top, top level coaches or top tier coaches and you're seeing it you're seeing it happen with these teams 
where yes, we always are, we always beat each other up in the Big Ten, but when you get to the out of conference, I, I, what was it the first week uh, out of conference? The Big Ten was like eight and three or nine and three or something yeah, like that. It was, yeah, and the SEC was like five six and, and seven or six something. and seven. Yeah, like so you're seeing that happen, and the Big Ten is actually taking a more a harder position in terms of non-conference scheduling. scheduling. Yeah. More conference games. Although I no think FCC, no FCS teams. Iowa would have a problem with that. Well, yeah. I think they had to like 2018 or something like that. I was probably saying we should have scheduled yeah. FBS teams. Well, I think we had some FT, FCS teams scheduled that we unscheduled, if I remember right, when that whole thing came out. And for, I mean, that's exactly why you want to do that. The, the problem with a North Dakota state like that is they're such a good team. It's such a risk. Everybody looks at them and goes, oh, they're FCS team. But they're such a good team that you can legitimately lose that game. Since 2011, they're 75-6 and six with five national titles. Yeah. And, and the article the said. The loss to Northwestern is a worse loss for Iowa. Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah. I mean, they got their ass kicked, by the way. And, well, yeah, they didn't get their Northwestern ass Northwestern scored what? 13, 14 they, points well, They them? lost by seven, but I understand what you mean. But Northwestern scored 38, and the week before it couldn't move the ball uh, on us. No, I, I, I completely agree. I don't know what in the world is going on over in Iowa. but Well, they're, I told you, their O and D line looked awful. Yeah. In that game, they looked awful. So I don't know if that's the whole problem, but that's a big part of it because um, Beat Hard couldn't. I mean, he can get rid of the ball. Yeah, he couldn't get. He, was he got Beat Hard. Yeah, he was he was getting pressured all day, and their running game is just. I mean, they'll show flashes. It's kind of like Nebraska last year, like they'll show flashes, but it's just been inconsistent. It's not been the dominant Iowa type running game that you've come to expect from them. So, I yeah, whatever's going on over there, it's I don't know. They need to get it fixed quick. The best part of that game is when. They didn't call face mask on Northwestern. Oh, jeez. And then literally like two plays they, later. I thought the hillbillies were going to storm the fields. They called a face mask against Iowa. <laughs> and oh, Lord. Beer thought, bottle on the field. I, shot, I thought the shirtless overall guys were going to be crawling down on <laughs> the field. storm dang field. Pitchforks and hunting down ogres oh, in striped gosh. shirts. The 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 crazy thing about it is I don't you watch the replay and I can one hundred percent understand why they didn't call the first one. He had his I I watching the replay I still wasn't really clear if he ever got his face mask. It was hard to see, but his hand was on his shoulder mostly, and then he might have had a finger in the face mask. Yeah. You can see how they might have missed that, and then. This, the one that happened that got called on Iowa, it was so blatant, and it was like, you can't not call that. Yeah. There had been some things prior to even those two calls that there's some pass interference that yeah. they called against Iowa, and the same thing happened, and they didn't call it against Northwestern. So it was – there was more than that, but, God, the fans yeah. were going crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was – I thought they were going <laughs> to get out the pitchforks. Good old the... Southeast Iowa for you there, boys and girls. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were going to storm the field there for a second. but And the thing is, is they, they had so many opportunities to, to win that game. They just, I don't know. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot more going on there than some bad you calls. You only got to win seven games a year there to stay stay on staff. <laughs> Apparently, get a, six, what, $60 million extension or something like that. Do you, uh, <laughs> to 20... I would love to be a fly on the wall over in Iowa City right now listening oh, to Oh, I can tell you. 
uh, having, every coffee shop having lived there i i promise you it's it is a, they're frustrated like, yeah it's it's going down they just frustrated with kirk ferentz and how he gets that kind of ex- extension after one good season wrapped around what looks like now might be two really bad seasons yeah so so outside the big 10 things going on that could affect the big 10 with LSU job being open and now it looks like the Texas job is probably cuz they just fired their D coordinator yeah and Char- although somebody came out and said that he's he's safe in his job oh, for that's the, the year. worst thing that can happen so the vote of confidence is like he's done yeah, I think that – I mean, what's this? This is third year? It's third season, yeah. Yeah, I don't – with where that program was, uh, it would be really weird if they fired him after this year. I think they they got to give him another year. Again, you never know. Like, that stuff's always weird how that stuff plays out, but it would be really strange if they the, fired him after a third year. The prevailing thought is that the Houston guy – Yeah, would take Tom the, Herman. Would take the Texas job. Which would leave less miles kind of out in the. Well, isn't he in the like top guy f- they're talking about for the LSU job? Well, yeah, but so LSU would miss out because they're thinking that Herman would take the Texas job before for LSU. LSU. So then that would be dumb. You know, you think James Franklin out at that would be State. dumb to take the Texas job over the LSU job. You think so? Yeah. What what has Texas done in what the last decade? Like. They've had they've had Mac try to fix it. Granted, he created it, but he tried to fix it, and then they hired Charlie Strong. He can't. What LSU is coming off a what nine and four season? Texas is coming off, and then seasons close before that that were really good seasons. Well, Herman Texas in, hasn't had a good season for how many years? He's in Texas though, is the thing, and so Austin is that. between Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, and so recruiting wise, he could just continue to do what he's doing. Yeah, I I can un- I I get that part of it, but looking at the two programs and just the recent history of the success there, you have much more established it seems like at LSU than you would at at Texas. Well, so then you have Art Briles sitting out there that is still trying to get a job. Yeah, which, I wonder what that's going to be. You know, so that's what I'm saying. You you got two guys that have been really good in recent years without jobs. Mm-hmm. And Penn State looks like maybe it's not going to continue. Um, that would be really, really strange, in my opinion, if Les Miles ended up at Penn State. It'd be cool. It'd be good for the Big Ten. Don't get me wrong. Just not the West. But well, <laughs> yeah. But well, no. Overall, I mean, look, they were talking. They were talking. Um, they were asking the the BTN. Gosh, I can't remember his name now. But the kind of the guy that he's the the Jerry the anchor. No, not the one of the coaches. The anchor guy. Um, because they were coming down for the BTN tailgate and they were asking him about, he was on 1620 in there and asking him about, you know, for the Big Ten to be everything it can be, you know, there's certain teams that need to be good. And they were kind of focused on Nebraska, but as he was, David, Dave Remsen, that's the guy, um, they were talking, as he was talking about it, he had talked about Ohio State, you know, uh, actually, he excluded Wisconsin, which was interesting. But Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, you know, Nebraska, those teams are the traditional blue blood teams that need to be good year in and year out. So Penn State needs to, and I agree, Penn State needs to be good 
for the Big Ten to be everything it can be and it be that thick, strong conference where, you know, week in and week out, if you get through the Big Ten, you're a good team. I agree with you. I just still have a problem with them. They're like two years away with the scholarship issues that they had. Yeah. So here's a fun fact, by the way. Well, this is the first time since 2003, all three of these teams were in the Big 12, were ranked at the same time. So this is the first time they've been ranked at the same time since 03, Colorado, Oklahoma, Nebraska. <laughs> What's Colorado ranked? I guess I didn't see. I, I don't, I, I'll look it up here while we're talking. Oh, but, okay. Um, I thought that was really interesting because back then, those were the three. I mean, it was like Ohio oh, State, yeah, Alabama, yeah. Clemson. Yeah, it was yeah. Nebraska. Oklahoma, Colorado. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, again, I think it to me it doesn't necessarily show it's not necessarily about those individual programs, but it shows that um the way things have flexed out, I guess is the word in terms of the conference realignments and so forth and the TV money and all that, all the investment that's being done by all these teams, it's starting to bear fruit a little bit because you're seeing teams that uh, Oklahoma's been, but Colorado and Nebraska kind of fell off really for a while there. And now we're kind of maybe starting to, to see some resurgence, but looking at other games though, in the, in the uh, big 10, um, obviously I'm sure most people saw the Michigan, Wisconsin game, Wisconsin lost that game, but <laughs> there's still, there were some, there definitely exposed some chinks in the armor. I mean, Horny Brook, Kind of fell apart there at the end a little bit. You know, I didn't. But, I actually didn't get to see the the end of that game. Yeah, he 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 got rattled, I think, and kind of fell apart a little bit. Um, but still, a fourteen seven loss. Uh, at to, Michigan. At Michigan, that again, that that's not a it's not a devastating loss by any means. Did we get a? Did we get a line on how many times? Harbaugh picked his nose and ate it. No, I don't. Did I don't that come out? We, I don't think we got to over. Did we get the that. sits and stands at the Nebraska? <laughs> no, because they're they're uh, not on the field for home games. So, oh, that's right. but we did get the uh, we did get the did they cheer or not they cheer did they not cheer for Michael Rose? I believe we definitely got the scoop on that. So. Oh, I didn't see that. So what was the outcome? They he got a he got a nice little cheer. For when they announced his name for the starting, they lineup. didn't play a lynch mob or anything and, at the beginning. <laughs> no, and they uh, uh, apparently he got a nice ovation as he was coming off the field after the game. So I know I kind of made a joke about it, but I mean seriously, come on, people. Yeah, uh, uh, good for him. Get a clue. Good for him. Yeah. So okay, so Colorado is ranked twenty-one. Uh, okay. North Dakota State's ranked in the top ten. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> they are getting votes, though. They're, what are they, like 28th? Are they still 28th this week? They're... They were like 28th last week. 25, 26th. <laughs> They're an FCS team. 29th. 29th, yeah. Yeah, LSU jumped up there since they scored points this week. Oh, okay. You score points, you get a vote? Apparently. Yeah. Um. The other, look, the other game we haven't talked about much, though, that I think deserves a... <laughs> Michigan State and Indiana. Oh man, wait, way to follow up a turd with another turd, huh? Yeah, he, I wonder if he had job opportunities. 
in the last three years that maybe he's going, eh, I should have looked at some of those. <laughs> yeah. Losing to Indiana 24-21 in overtime. So oddly uh, enough. The and Col- they had – here's the thing about that game. Here's the thing about that game is that it wasn't like Indiana made a play at the end to push it to overtime. It was Michigan State that had to score late in order to push it into overtime. And then they went into overtime and they they had the ball – I believe they had the ball first and they – uh, I don't know what O'Connor was doing, but on third, third, second and third down, or third and fourth down, he took two sacks back-to-back. So they couldn't even kick a field goal, and then they had to go for this long fourth down that they didn't get, and so then all Indiana had to do was just... Do we we play Michigan State again, right? At Michigan State or no? I don't think we play them this year. We play Ohio State. I want to trade them out. Can we trade? Can we trade them out for Maryland? On that side, well, at some point we will. <laughs> I mean, this year though. <laughs> well, like, well, yeah. I, I I would trade him for Ohio State. I don't know about Maryland. I don't think Maryland. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Maryland's looking okay right now, but I don't think they're gonna. I'm excited to play Ohio State. I want to see how we stack up. I don't. I don't think they're gonna pan out like we think they will. Yeah, Ohio State. <sighs> Oof. That game. Uh, the one I don't like is freaking Wisconsin. Wisconsin at Camp Randall's never, never a, never a fun experience. <laughs> so it's like up. when your little brother beats you in basketball, the first all time, the, time. the first time, all the time, and then he continues to kick your ass all the time, kick your ass, and you're just like, all the time. What do I have to do? I don't want to play. Well, you do what you used to do, which is stomp your feet, get mad, throw the ball, and and take your ball and leave. But we can't do that. <laughs> so, or I'd move the hoop up to ten feet, and you couldn't get the ball to the hoop. <laughs> that didn't change anything. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we're gonna take a break. When we get back, we're gonna get into Illinois versus Nebraska. Get the breakdown. See what went right, what went wrong, and really, from my perspective, what needs to get shored up in this bye week and the continuing weeks moving into those games: Wisconsin, Ohio State. Maryland, Iowa, as we get into the really the teeth of our schedule. You're listening to the Scarlet and Cream Podcast on HuskerNoteAll.com. Hey, be sure to check out our private Facebook group at HuskerNoteAll.com slash Facebook. If you'd like to interact with us one-on-one, ask questions, give suggestions, we notify you whenever we start the podcast so you can get your questions or comments in and we can try and get them on the show for you. So again, it's a private Facebook group. Just head on over to huskerknowitall.com slash Facebook. Select the request to join button and we'll get you added into the group. Welcome back to the Scarlet and Cream podcast on huskerknowitall.com. This segment, we're going to break down Illinois versus Nebraska. So again, I want to start. So the the first thing I want to focus on, I just want to ask you generally, you know, again, night and day, first half, second half, or you could even say first three quarters, fourth quarter. You know, we we were going into the fourth quarter, we were down sixteen to ten. Granted, we were in the middle of that eighteen play drive at that point, but we were still down sixteen ten and then rip off twenty one unanswered in the fourth. So what I wanna know, uh, you know, especially you a coach watching the game, what was different? What schematically fundamentally what was different between you know that first half or those first three quarters and the last quarter what changed two major things happened one is in the second quarter did we not turn the ball over twice or was it second and third quarter 
Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when the turno- the turnovers came, but I know one was in the first half for sure. And so we didn't <clears throat> we didn't get the opportunity to get into the end zone on either of those drives. And the way we're possessing the ball, you know, not scoring on a drive, um, it's going to take us a while to get back into the end zone. So we we need to um, obviously correct that. Going to the fourth quarter, though, we had kind of physically beaten up on him. And then we went strictly to Newby because Zigbo got hurt. And so we went strictly to Newby, a guy who's actually been really good with the ball as far as turnovers and everything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I'd, he's had the one – I think his one fumble was that one at Northwestern. But Tommy know. made some really big-time plays um, on that drive. And we went for it on fourth down once, got that. Uh, the throw to Trey Foster was pretty unreal. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of guys that can do that. So there was a lot of things that went our way. But once that drive kind of concluded, and again, we talked about this, they turn around, go three and out, and their defense is right back on the field. And of course, our guys are jazzed. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of Katie bar the doors and let the let the hogs well, go think- wild. The pipe The pipeline was good. Our technique is... O-line wide is, is night and day difference. Yeah, I think, so going back to just what you are saying just before that, I think, you know, looking at it uh, fatigue-wise, you know, there's some things that made sense there. And just the Nebraska's shown this year. It clearly was an emphasis in the offseason about the fourth quarter <laughs> because we lost so many games last year. It's kind of it's obvious when you lose that many games in the fourth quarter and then you come out the next year and you're so dominant in the fourth quarter. Clearly, that was emphasis. So the mental toughness. But I guess what I'm wondering is, as a coach, looking at it, again, schematically or fundamentally, were there were there things that stuck out to you or you noticed that we were missing on or not doing in the first three quarters that suddenly in the the last three quarter or the last quarter the fourth quarter we started hitting on we started getting or was it just a, simply a matter of they got tired and we held the ball and that was it well it's going to be a combination of both okay we're going to see some things at halftime whether um, we were trying to handle those two DNs one on one and couldn't and started double teaming them so you you can change that scheme and say okay we're going to block it this way instead of that way. So those things, I don't know. I I didn't watch it close enough to see that. But um, we used Trey Foster a lot more this week than we had in the past. Oh, yeah, but I'm sure that's because Seathan, you know, Seathan, a- after Seathan Carter's injury, that was probably a, a have to, you know. No, I understand that, but he was more of like a fullback than a tight end. It's like Seathan, I know they move Seathan around a little bit, but they don't. they'll put him hand down. Mm-hmm. Whereas Trey Foster, they keep him up like in a wing yeah, alignment. Sense. And so uh, that that little bit of space make a big difference to a D-end. Um, the huge thing I noticed that I've heard a few people talk about is we didn't run a lot of zone read, quarterback run stuff. Yeah, we Tommy had, what, just a couple carries for like 16 yards, something like that? My knee-jerk reaction is that the D-ends were playing it too well. And we're probably too athletic for us to take advantage of it. Yeah, or or even just we're told don't don't take the just fake. Give it. 
just yeah. yeah, just make him give it and and don't let Tommy keep the ball. Right. Which I could that would make a hundred percent sense if that they said that, given what Tommy's done the last few games. Coming off his career high rushing. Well, like I told you, there there are ways to scheme it up so that you can make him do what you want him to do. You're gonna give some stuff up though. Yeah, you have to it's a trade off, right? You're gonna sacrifice on the bubble and some of the seam routes, so because your your linebacker, you have to basically blitz into the dive, and make him hand the dive. So you're going to lose your middle coverage usually, or twist or whatever you end up doing. But, um, so what? Again, I don't know how they were playing it, but the the big play that newbie had was just I think it was just um, exertion on our part where we had the energy to uh, yeah, maintain he, and keep our blocks. He got the edge, and that was it. No, he's gone. Yeah, I mean. And it was like uh, the quarterback run against Northwestern that they had on us. Yeah. I mean, he got to the edge, and it was like there was nobody there. Yeah. Yeah, he hit that edge, and there was – I mean, there were some guys trying to well, The wide him. receivers are blocking significantly better. The guy that was exciting to watch was Stanley Morgan. That guy's got a chip. Yeah. I mean, about the size of – Did you watch a, his interview after, by he's, chance? He's got a huge chip on his shoulder. like oh, a boulder. He's a hilarious interview, too. Like, he's very <laughs> – I don't know what the word is. Like, I, I guess a lot of times when they do interviews, guys are really kind of like plain monotone. They just, they don't want to be there. It's like, I feel like he likes the interviews because he has, he has a lot of fun with them. He's just really kind of all over the place, but, well, and it, 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 you can see that personality on the field when he plays. He's the one guy that plays all the time right now that came in the same time as Keith Williams. Mm. right because he played last year as a true freshman yeah yeah and so he got that type of coaching from day one Mm -hmm. whereas other guys don't have that bubbly outgoing personality like he does they're a little bit more laid back and and so i I wonder if that has something to do with it or if it's just that's the way he is i don't know but i I think it's awesome because he goes out there and he he gets after people well that third down i mean I think the thing about him that sticks out to me is there's there's guys that are aggressive on the team and there's guys that are football smart on the team. Like Nathan Gary strikes me as a guy who's football smart. Uh, Aaron Williams strikes me as a guy who's really, really aggressive. He's gotten a couple aggressive penalties even. That play he made on the reverse was yeah, but was really good. Stanley Morgan strikes me as both. Like that third down play. He knew that he had to stretch for it. He stretched for it in a way where he wasn't going to risk a fumble. You know, I mean, he he just made the play in a really smart but aggressive way, and it seems like he does that quite a bit. He's really aggressive, but he's also really football smart. You know what I like about him is he takes pride in all aspects of being a receiver. He's not just a throw-me-the-damn-ball guy. Yeah, like, run the damn ball. You see him block a guy, and the guy scores, and he is excited yeah. about that as he is about catching a touchdown or a first down. Yeah. You he know? actually talked about that in his interview, too, about how he – and look, you know, what people can say whatever, but he talked about the fact that uh, he he really enjoys more getting, like, a pancake block and springing a run than, than catching a touchdown pass. And – Listening to him talk and watching the way he plays, I can believe it. when he says it, I can believe it. You know, it, he just he seems like he attacks those little things that way. Right. And he understands that 
those little things are what is going to keep him on the field so he can get the touchdown catches later. Yeah, you can you can be coached one of two ways at the receiver spot. It's one, go make plays, don't worry about the rest. And the other is, go do your job because the first part of your job, blocking, helps you be successful at the second part of your job, which yeah. is receiving. Now, speaking of little things that matter, I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about, going back to what was different between the first three quarters and the fourth quarter, particularly in the first uh, it was hard. To, the third quarter was an anomaly because we had the ball for a lot of the third quarter. So defensively, you didn't get to see a ton. But it seemed like the f- the first half in particular, the tackling, that was the big thing that really stood out. We, we would have that uh, Corbin, the number two. We would have him dead to rights a couple times for a loss even, and he would squirm and squeak and – break tackles and end up getting eight, nine, ten yards. Yeah, it wasn't positioning. And so that yeah, we were not, there. not frustrating because at times in previous years, it would be like there's nobody even close by. Yeah. Is anybody playing defense? <laughs> <laughs> this year, like now we're there this game and we just aren't making the play. So why? Seems like it's more easily correctable, right? Is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's all technique and tackling is all technique and want. Um, and it just didn't seem like we had the desire or effort to get the guy on the ground. They just yeah. they thought, oh, we're going to touch him and he'll fall down. Whereas before, we were making sure we got the tackle. Yeah. So I, as you get into the season, it's your individual time shrinks. So usually when you practice, you go indie period. Then you go into kind of group, which is like Skelly, 7-on-7, uh, one-on-ones. And then you get into team. Well, you're you're always focused on kind of the group and the team stuff. And as the daylight gets shorter, the to indie period shrink, or maybe you have more install. They have the indoor facility, so they don't have to worry about it. But um, as you shrink your individual periods and your technique can, can suffer. Yeah. So I don't know if they've changed and their indie tackling periods are less and the turnovers circuits tackling circuits yeah, because that they do. to start the year that was one of the big improvements we saw was that it seemed like they were ta- tackling way better than a year ago and they had implemented that new hawk tackling system and everything but yeah that first half uh didn't that was it was atrocious i mean uh there were several different plays that i saw that so they broke several tackles we didn't do very well against the run but our, our rush defense this year is is not nearly as good as it has been. And again, you go back, you lose two guys to the NFL and then another guy to Michigan State. Yeah, we're, well, let's see, as after this game, uh, we're giving up an average of 4.8 yards per carry and 151 yards uh, right. per game. I think we're in the 80s, 81 in the country in rest defense. Uh, we lost some significant talent. Mm-hmm. So the, the rush lanes are much bigger um, than they used to be, most likely. But again, we're playing better pass defense. You know, when you play atrocious pass defense, people aren't going to look to run the ball against you. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that was some of last year. It was like, why run it when we can throw a 30-yard bomb and score a touchdown? But so those, some of those stats can be a little deceiving. Yeah, we, we seem like we're the like the definition of a bend but don't break defense. I mean, if you look at 
uh, average yards given up per game, it's about 350, which uh, seems a little higher than ideal, but we're only giving up 17.6 points per game, which, as you always talk about, is below your, what, 19? 17 is actually the number. 17 is the number, so it's right at your number. So, yeah, giving up some yards, but and I think if... I think I'm, they mentioned it. Yeah, red zone scores. Um, we've given up a total of nine, and it looks like five of those are we've given up five touchdowns and five field goals. I think or something like that. Five five touchdowns and four field goals. So, you know, of the they've got in the red zone twelve times, we've given up five touchdowns, below fifty percent. I don't know what that would rank. Uh, nationally wise, but it seems like we do stiffen up a little bit. Well, our offensive third down conversion is top five, I saw. I don't know where our defensive third. So 53% is top five. That's I just looked it up for the show. Yeah, And we're our defensive, we're 31%. I think Illinois was like two of nine or something like that. I know we're up there in deep. I don't, we're not top five, obviously, but um, so the stats that you look at turnover, third down and red zone, you know, we continue to do well. Yeah. So, and a lot, a lot of that goes to uh, conditioning, discipline. Our, so, the the big positive, I mean, we're talking about a lot of negative stuff here. All right. Let's was what penalties. You do. We had three penalties. Yeah. That seemed to improve quite a bit uh, this game as well. So. Three for 35 yards. Of course, two of them were what you call dumb penalties, unnecessary penalties, I think. Personal fouls, weren't they? Yeah. I don't... Kalu had one. Yeah, Clue had one. I don't remember what the other two were, to be honest. So, but three penalties is a <laughs> far cry from the eight nine. It seemed like we would get every game last year. I don't know. In my in my mind, when you when coaching, when you talk about a perfect game, people always think about blocking and tackling and um, the scheme stuff, and that had that plays a part in it. But a perfect game is. Turnovers, zero. Penalties, zero. Um, mental errors, zero. Yeah, because that's all stuff Just you tackles, can... tackles, zero. Yeah, that's all stuff you can control. You can't necessarily control the ins and outs of yardage and the game, and but you can control whether you get a freaking personal foul penalty or right. uh, you throw a... I don't know what that was, pass to... Brandon Riley, that's like 10 yards under thrown. <laughs> well, like stuff like that. You like, can even control whether you get a holding call or an offsides. Right. I mean, we used to coach guys how to hold properly because the refs will tell you, if you block them this way, I'm not going to call it. But if this happens, then I'll call it. And so we would say, we'd work on drills like, okay, get engaged. And then they're going to pull away. You got to let go because they're going to call a holding call. Yeah. So you can control all of that stuff. It's just whether the guy. Does it or not? Yeah, so, actually thinks through, thinks it through. But to me, that perfect game has to do with that stuff, not the blocking and tackling portion of it. Yeah, another big thing coming out of that game that's gonna be uh, gonna have to keep an eye on was the number of of injuries. I had injuries going in, especially on the O line. And the side note, really didn't seem to notice the, those injuries. Really, you know, I mean. Uh, there wasn't anything like big glaring. Maybe maybe weren't getting as much of the push or whatever. But really, Tommy didn't get sacked at all. Um, you know, we had what? How many yards? Well, he was running for his life a lot more. But I mean, that was a really good D line for the. Yeah, we had over 200 yards rushing. Or yeah, 
Yeah, we had over 200 yards rushing. I mean, and it it was against a good D-line. You didn't notice anything. But then you have Seaton Carter go down. You have Jordan Westerkamp go down. You have uh, Divino Zigbo go down. So (laughs) seems like a perfect time for the bye week. Oh, yeah. My big things for the bye week were, you know, the first thing that has to happen is we have to heal. Yeah. Get in the cold in the hot tub. Get your therapy. You know, that that comes before tackling drills, which is second on my yeah. list. Yeah. So heal up, tackle, and then take care of the football. Yeah. You know, that's what we've got to do this off off week. Yeah, and maybe, maybe uh, you know, a little, given Indiana, their win over Michigan State, maybe sneak in a little extra prep for <laughs> Indiana as well. It seemed oh, like they will. It, it seemed like Illinois did that for us. Uh, they were talked a lot after the game about the defense, especially that there were stuff that they hadn't seen on film that Illinois did, and that was giving them trouble in the first half. Although, had they tackled uh, appropriately, I don't think it would have been an issue. But looking, talking bye week, looking ahead to, you know, I don't want to look past teams necessarily, but we do have Wisconsin looming, we do have Ohio State looming. From your perspective, what are the things that have to get short up if we're going to have any sort of chance in those games. Um, turnovers, we've got to get back to winning the turnover battle. Um, we have to be as consistent as we are now with penalties. And then um, defensively, I, I think we have to be able to stop the run better. That's, now, talking, that's going to be huge. Talking about that one, looking specifically at being able to stop the run better, because I agree, you know, Again, uh, schematically, fundamental-wise, like, what are you seeing? What what do you see that needs to be improved in 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 that area for us to get better at at stopping the run? Um, our defensive line and linebackers have got to disengage from blockers, um, like quicker. They're disengaging. They're getting off the. So that makes it easier for you to be in the right position to make the tackle. And we're not in bad position, but we've got to make that running back as a D line, make a move in the backfield, a cut of some sort. Yeah. You didn't see a lot of penetration to disrupt the timing of runs or anything this week. It seemed like, and it's a little bit deceiving. Um, And defensively, it kind of goes to the scheme that you're running, but you don't, necessarily want to get all the way up the field either because mm-hmm. getting too far up field creates <laughs> well that's what happened on the long TD run big run lanes did you hear Banker after the after the game he said it was just a bad call because they blitzed Rose Ivy from the opposite he, side yeah, well no he blitzed from the play side he blitzed and they blitzed him he just he didn't even have it. I went back during the game I looked at it and I thought he just doinked it I but... thought Banker said he blitzed from the opposite side no Rose Ivy blitzed play side I remember the play gotcha and he didn't even have a chance. I went back and looked at it, and he—I mean, he bl- the play- guy was blind before you would ever have a chance to even recognize the play was coming that way. So he said it was a uh, a bad call. Yeah. So we always teach to. I mean, I coached D line at one point, and it was a three four team, but we would teach them to get up one one yard up the field and then flat line hmm. one direction or the other, because otherwise, if if all four guys or three guys are getting straight up field. You're just making the lanes bigger. So penetration, 
for a yard is good. Penetration for three to four yards is not good. You know, that's usually screen or draw. And so you're, you have to be careful on talking about getting penetration. Well, well now, so some, sometimes it seems like just to, I want to get a little geeky here for a second, but you, it's at least again in the, the pop culture of football, you'll hear people talk about uh, a defense that, uh, you know, the two gap, one gap type stuff where you, you get a defense where, like you said, you get a yard and then flat line. Whereas it seems like you have some teams where they'll slant purposefully to get penetration. You know, uh, again, maybe you can talk about, I, I'm not well versed on all that. So asking the question is even a little bit difficult, but just talk a little bit about what we're doing versus, you know, some of that stuff where people try to slant to, to get penetration and so forth and well, why I, we would do that. I don't see our D line do a lot of twisting mm-hmm. or stunting. So taking the D end and the D tackle and twisting, which some people might think is a slant. Um, we do a lot more of that with linebacker games. So a D end and a linebacker exchange yeah. gaps. Yeah, I have seen that. Okay. We don't do a lot because I don't know if he probably doesn't feel like we have athletic enough guys, to be honest with you. And I would agree with him to be able to do the D line nose tackle twist, DE twist, all that type of stuff. So, um, I don't see us doing a lot of that. So schematically we do it with linebackers and D linemen, um, whether it's double gap blitzes and all those type of things. Um, and again, I think it just comes down to doing what your athletes can do, and which is smart. Um, so what was your question? Well, I just, you were talking about how, you know, penetration is a little bit overrated, but you'll watch some teams where it seems like that's what they're, they're designed to do. And it doesn't really seem like that's what we're, we're, what our D line is, is set up to do is to try and get a bunch of kind of penetration like that. It's more, Damon talks about all the time, calls it a spill defense. So they're really more trying to force the running back to bounce bounce outside and then let the linebackers clean it up. Yeah, you can either be a um, edge contained defense and your linebackers are your edge players, or you can have your safeties and corners be your edge players, in which case you're going to spill everything out. And you're trying to get everything to run between the hash and the numbers in that area, and that's your alley for tackling. So that's what a spill defense does. Now, if you're a leverage defense, your leverage defense keeps everything inside the tackle box. Now, why would you run a leverage defense versus a spill defense? Does that have to do with your personnel, or is it just a choice schematically? Like what? Well, what makes that decision to be one or the other? A three-four defense ends up being a leverage defense. They rarely put the corners in contained defense, but you got to have a stud nose tackle because you're going to bring everything goes back to the nose, and he's got to be able to win on every down. And so if you have a stud nose tackle on a 3-4, then you can leverage everything. Um, in a 4-3, most of the ones I've coached in is a spill defense to get everything out to the alleys so that the linebackers and safeties can run to the ball because you're going to have an athletic guy at will and an athletic guy at strong safety. And the will and the strong safety are going to be almost similar guys, just the will probably can't do a, a slot man-to-man coverage as well as that strong safety could. So that's really the difference. And so us being a 4-3 team, we're naturally going to spill things out to there. Um, it, it just depends if you want your guys to chase to the numbers and the hashes or if you want everything brought down the middle. So if you have a stud safety, a stud middle backer, and a stud nose tackle, 
or D tackles, you're going to want to keep everything inside. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that line, then you're going to have to use numbers to your advantage and use the width of the field to chase things down. So like Wisconsin, they, they run more of a three, four right. type defense. So they would probably be more of that All right, leverage. leverage type defense. Yep. And, and they're going to, because they've got really good outside backers. Yeah. CG and well, Watts at DN, but those guys are really good. Yeah. And so uh, it takes really a big amount of discipline to be a leverage team, so to speak, because if, if there's any crease at all, it could be housed. Okay, because if, if they get any opening at all and you don't, it, it's nothing between them and their head on the goalpost. Whereas if you spill it, then you've got a chance to chase it yeah, down. Yeah, you've got some time. Different levels. Yeah. So that's why a lot of teams um, spill just because it gives them opportunity to run to it. Whereas if you don't and you leverage it and it, he'll hit his head on the goalpost before anybody even sees him. So that's the biggest difference. But I could see why Wisconsin would do it. They got the, they got the cats to do it with. Yeah, and then it seems like that type of defense when when you're on your – again, going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, Nebraska seems like a bend-but-don't-break type defense. So uh, it, seem, it seems like a defense that recognizes you're going to give up some yards, but you're going to tighten up in the red zone. Whereas when you watch Wisconsin play, every game I've watched this year, when they get it right, like they can't move the ball at all. They just It seems like they just shut people down completely. Yeah. And so it's a maybe a higher risk, higher reward. If you don't get it right, it's a it's a touchdown. If you do get it right, you just completely shut people down. Yeah, I mean, if somebody gets the edge on you and you're leveraging things, everything inside the backers, <laughs> you're toast. Yeah. So that's why I said you have to be very disciplined because most of the time your corners are going to be locked up in man free of some sort, or but they're not going to have their eyes up thinking they have to make a tackle. And it, and if they make a tackle, then it's a bonus. Mm -hmm. So if anything gets outside the leverage of the backer, you know, it's going to be for big yards. So, Yeah, that's an interesting analysis just looking at the 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 game and how everything. You look look back at the Oregon game where they really kind of ga gashed us with outside plays. You know, the, that run that uh, Illinois got us on was wasn't really a sweep necessarily, but it was kind of more the tackle area, not straight up the, you know, straight up in between the center and the guard or anything like well, that. Well, we just completely misplayed that one, and yeah, we blitzed. Straight we misaligned, past I think, to begin with, and then misplayed it. Yeah, there. yeah. So. I don't know if it was the blitz or what, but I know that um, Banderas was way out of position to try and make a play on that. So, you know, game game wise, when you when you get a defensive timeout. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You, know, you don't really want to call timeouts on defense. So usually it's because either you don't have enough or you have too many people on the field or somebody is severely misaligned because misalignments will get you beat quicker than anything. Hmm. You might as well not even have the guy on the field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So I, I know Bolte would go absolutely ballistic when a guy would be misaligned. Even like, so if you think about defensive linemen, there's shades, you know, outside shade of the shoulder, shoulder. Yeah, nose. it's not that far that you have to be misaligned. If they were mis misaligned by like half a shade, he would go crazy. Yeah, because then they could get – They're beat could... by alignment. Yeah. So, uh, because with that defense, it, it might look like you're slanting, but if the – so they're running a zone play, and this is really in-depth stuff here, but so the O-line is running a zone play. 
I'm aligned on the guy's outside shoulder as a defensive end, plays away, the first thing they're taught to do is stick their hand on that tackle's hip and shuffle down because uh, they're playing the quarterback for zone read. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it may look like we're slanting, and everybody else on the D-line is doing the same thing. Nose is trying to cross face that, or he's going back door on the back hip and then flat line. And if there's a backer blitzing and he sees that zone away, he's going to flat line because he's actually going to tackle the dive where that DN that's on the hip of the um, tackle is going to play the quarterback. So your blitzing linebacker is the, is the dive guy. And you, you may think, well, how would he get there? It happens a lot in a good defense that does it right. So um, aligning properly for those reasons, if you're playing off the back hip or you're trying to cross face, is a big deal, especially for them big, fat, slow guys. <laughs> so, I resemble that remark. <laughs> well, Shane was a D end. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and again, my my take from all that is is when you talk about misalignment, it, it doesn't have to be that much. It can be, you know, a step or two one way or the wrong way and you be misaligned and you're out of position and you can't, you just physically can't make the play. It's even more critical for like an outside backer or safety or even, I mean, a corner because there's so much more space out there. So if they're one or two yards too far in or too far out, um, they're beaten by alignment immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't overcome misalignment so that's where you get the defensive timeouts like hey what are you doing <laughs> and the d coordinator's freaking out on the headphones so. yeah <laughs> yeah so all right well i think we uh we're coming up in our podcast uh on friday we're gonna dive into the indiana game but i wanted to 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 get a good kind of breakdown of of what we saw what you saw in in, in the illinois game so i think we geeked it out pretty well there so we're gonna wrap it up here yeah that was fun i'm sweating <laughs> getting all worked up over I there got the coach vibe going he had to walk up the stairs so he's a little sweaty i didn't piss uh, piss i didn't pass out this last weekend like i did the, the oregon <laughs> yeah, game that's always good not to pass out during the game shane was nice enough to remind me i went into coach mode and about passed out <laughs> uh all right well we're gonna leave it there i want to thanks everybody for listening if you like the show be sure to like it so that we know that you like this kind of content if you know somebody who is a big Husker fan and would love to hear what uh, Pat and I have to say, please share it with them. And if you're not yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hey, and if, if you're like some of our friends, make them listen to it anyway. Well, that's true. If you're a family member, you're required to listen. Yeah, just so. sit, hold them down, tie them in a chair, <laughs> make them listen. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, you want to become a regular listener of the show? You can head on over to huskerknowitall.com slash iTunes, huskerknowitall.com slash Android, or huskerknowitall.com slash SoundCloud in order to subscribe and make sure that you never miss an episode.